Listen, I did film and television studies at university for three years. I spent hours reading countless books and articles on subjects spanning from film all the way to television. Not a single one mentioned Hugh Grant once. I achieved the hardest qualification across any university or college ever, a 2-1 in history. Let me tell you, the only thing that I learned was that we, as a society, have a history of denying and neglecting Hugh Grant's artistic and cultural relevance, not just in this country, but in the entire world. I met Oscar at a Hugh Grant-themed event I put on at the Students' Union. It felt as though Diggory and I were the only ones there, and we agreed that there was a Hugh Grant-shaped hole in academia. We decided to put it right ourselves. We want to show people that he's an icon in acting. We want to show people he's more than just a bumbling posh guy. I'm Diggory Waite. And I'm Oscar Beardmore Gray. And, and this, this is... Taking you for granted. Hello and welcome to Taking Hugh for Granted, the podcast in which two scholars watch every single film starring Hugh Grant in the attempt to answer the simple question, is this film taking Hugh for granted? Is this film good on its own or does it rely on the bumbling Brit for its acclaim? I'm Diggory Waite and I'm joined as always by my colleague and fellow Hugh Grant academic Oscar Beardmore Gray. Oscar, how the hell are you doing mate? Mate, I, I'm very good. It's been it's been a little bit. Um, mm. I just wanted to show you something before oh, we wow. start this episode. Okay. Okay, here we go. Oh, wow. oh my word. Oh my word, Oscar. Look at that. It's a taking you for granted t-shirt. Here we go. <laughs> the full work. What we've got is we've got the lovely cartoon taking you on the top left of Oscar's breast. And on the back we have the, the typography, the letters and the wording taking you for granted all in their lovely blue and white. Oscar, you look fantastic, mate. Thank you, mate. It's been it's been a long time coming. I ordered my T-shirt. Honestly, it took it took about six weeks to get here. I don't know really? what far flung part of the world it was being made <laughs> made, but they did an excellent job of it. And you mm. know, it's perfect size. Um, already got a couple of compliments already. Of course you have. So of course you, know, you have. I, I just can't wait for the day, digs, when we can walk around in tandem at some cool festival or something yes. um, wearing those t-shirts and someone comes up to us and goes, what's taking you for granted? And right. then we explain it's a multi-award winning hit podcast. <laughs> exactly. It is the only Hugh Grant podcast on the internet. Uh, today, we're talking not just about t-shirts and our wonderful attire, we are talking about Remains of the Day, 1993, directed by James Ivory. Um, the movie was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Screenplay, adapted from an, another medium, Best Original Music Score, Best Costume Design, Best Art Direction, and the movie failed to win a single one. So that's the kind Sad. of film <laughs> we'll be talking about um, today. But Hugh did apparently state, according to IMDb, that this was the best film that he was that he ever made and he was ever part of, which is interesting. I, this is obviously pre about a boy, which I think he has since he no, I think sim, sim, subsequently he said about boys his favourite. Um, mm. But anyway, should we get into a synopsis? Let's do it. The remains of the day, directed by James Ivory and released in 1993. The rigid, resolute, and rule-bound Mr. Stevens, played by Sir Anthony Hopkins cultivates a world of manners and decorum in the Darlington household. 
However, the arrival of housekeeper Miss Kenton, played by Dame Emma Thompson, threatens to upset the highly professional culture Mr. Stevens, the home's head butler, has worked so hard to foster. Will the possibility of their romance and Lord Darlington's sympathies towards the Nazi cause challenge Mr. Stevens' carefully maintained veneer of servitude? So, Oscar, remains of the day, 1993. Let's talk and start where we always do, and as we always do, with Hugh Grant in this film. I thought that Hugh was looking incredibly dashing in this film. Mm. What Mm. did you think? I have to say, I do not share those sentiments. You don't? No. No, I thought he he looked great in this film. Do you think? Really? Okay, we're going to butt heads immediately. Yeah, I love this, though. I love it when we butt heads. (laughs) It's like when my parents fight, and I'm like, but, like, I'm not so sad. Um... And uh, yeah, and they don't, it doesn't end in divorce. Anyway, sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> anyway, so well, it, for those of you who haven't seen the film, uh, Hugh has a sort of slicked back hair look. And I believe this is the seventh film that we've watched where he has some form of ridiculously posh clothing on. Mm. So we've got Four Weddings, Lair of the White Worm, White Mischief, Morris, Sense of Sensibility, Impromptu, and now here. Yeah. Um, but I actually think in all those films where he's wearing those kind of clothes i think he looks best here i don't know exactly what it is but i think he looks great the the slick back hair works really well for me and he i don't know what i wrote this in my notes he has a very pointy nose in this film (laughs) (laughs) do you know what that is that is the strangest and most accurate thing that you've said so far today i know we've been talking for like five minutes but like honestly you're absolutely right now that you pointed that out you're absolutely right. He has a very pointy nose in this film. And it's the hair, I think, that brings that out. It's the slicked back hair. I yeah. Remember. I mean, he has a similar look to what he has in Morris when he mm. has the moustache. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, the moustache is terrible, so that yeah. didn't look good. No. But I was li- liking him more to a sort of 1960s James Bond here than anything else. But oh, my <laughs> word. <laughs> what was it that didn't do it for you then? I, do you know what? I think it is the hair. You know, he he plays, so he's amongst all these sort of aristocratic lot and they're all, you know, there and they're lords and all that stuff. So, look, completely Hughes in his element. I don't know, I, I just, re- the slick back hair just really didn't work for me. I think I think if the hair just had a little bit more volume, I would have loved the look. I would have, I would have loved it. But I just, I think the slick back hair for me really was not, not I was not vibing that at all. I think he was I'm too really preppy so, for I'm, me. I'm really sorry. You're, you're more of a kind of, you're more of a curtains man. I'm more of a curtains man. I'm more of a of a curtains man, a dishevelled look kind of guy. If he ever looks dishevelled, although then again, <laughs> like like in, do you remember the Ben the Bengali slash Bengali night when he? None of you would have heard that episode, I'm sure, because everyone goes the Bengali night. What the hell's that? But when he came out <laughs> and it was like his shirt was torn, he was all muddy and dirty, and his hair was everywhere. I was like, that might be the best he's ever looked. That's more my vibe. But anyway, in this film, like you say, slick back hair. What about his his actual role, though? Can you explain any more about, about that? So Hugh Grant is is uh, the godson of Lord Darlington, whose house this whole story centers on. Mm. And he plays almost the whistleblower um, at, the end of, at the end of the movie, where he is a visiting journalist mm. um, and he, he sort of pretends that he's going to come to the house and just stay there for the night. But he actually has got a tip off that the prime minister mm. is coming to the residence and is going to be um, seeking to strike a deal with the Germans um, just before the beginning of the Second World War. So for you history buffs out here, this is kind of um, Neville Chamberlain's mm. peace in our time, blah, 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 blah thing. Appeasement and all that, yeah. 
all that all that stuff and you know lots of people look at look down on that as the sort of nazi sympathizers mm. and anyway hugh um rightfully or wrong for, or wrongly he he takes exception to this and he's 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 typing away on his on his typewriter and sending it off to the to the local tabloid mm. the naughty fucker <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah no, yeah exactly and and he has this this whole scene is basically his and he tries to sort of cur- like try to try to schmooze mr stevens and tries to chat to him and you know and get him to have a drink with him and stuff and, and yeah it's quite funny there's a lot of hugh grantisms in there like a lot of smiling a lot of like awkward laughing and trying to trying to win him over and i thought it was, it was classic cute now look um tell me i don't suppose the prime minister is in the library is he prime minister sir hmm over in the library it's right you don't have to confirm it are our prime minister our foreign secretary and the german ambassador any idea what they're talking about in there? I'm afraid not. What I think is really interesting about this scene is that so for for the listener, Mr. Stevens is basically this he's so dignified, he's so his whole life is about serving the house. He's mm. serving Lord Darlington, regardless of what Lord Darlington's about, regardless of who comes to the house, what they say, blah blah blah. He is unfailing in his duty to Mr. Do- um to Lord Darlington. Mm. And this is the first time that we see a flicker of doubt, I think. Let me see if it's a, don't you care at all? I mean, aren't you, aren't you in the least bit curious? It is not my place to be curious about such matters. What's your place? And supposing, supposing I told you that um, his lordship is presently trying to persuade the prime minister to enter into a pact with that bunch of criminals in Berlin. I'm certain his lordship is acting from the highest and noblest motives, sir. But don't you see, that's exactly what makes it so abominable that they should take these high and noble motives and twist them to their own foul ends. You do please realise that his lordship's been the most valuable pawn that the Nazis have in this country over the last few years, it, precisely because he is good and honourable. <laughs> I wish I weren't so drunk, I could make you understand. You, you don't need people to say things to really grasp ideas and mm. themes and clever moments in the film and it was that subtlety that i think really came out in this in this scene um which i really enjoyed well you're listening to hugh grant taking hugh for granted on the radio hugh grant taking hugh for granted oh the podcast show So we've talked about, you know, the subplot and the World War Two and the fact that he clearly doesn't agree with his master in those ways and how he's repressed his thoughts in that sense. But I think a really good example of the kind of stoic character that Mr. Stevens is, is when Mr. Stevens Sr. dies. So, <laughs> so, uh, um, what's his, so Anthony Hopkins's dad also works in this house and his dad is clearly losing it as a as a servant um you know he's leaving things in the wrong place he trips up when he when he's deliver deliver you know giving when he, when he's on tray service trying to give us give some people some food and emma thompson when she joins the house as the housekeeper starts pointing this out and saying you know come on your, your dad's he's great but he's losing it and mr stevens anthony hopkins is like no 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 eventually it comes to a head and anthony hopkins his dad is taken ill and dies. Just dies. Just dies, <laughs> yeah. And um, Mr. Stevens is con- always just, you know, in his work, 
and they say, come and come and see him. And he's like, ah, oh, sorry, I've just got to keep doing this work. I'll, I'll be there in like one second. And eventually he goes upstairs to see him. He goes to his deathbed, touches his head, and then asks the doctor to go and attend to someone downstairs who is, you know... Who's, who's, one of the guests. He's one of the guests. Because one of the guests is, you know, his feet hurt because he's been travelling or something. And they and he goes, oh, and then and, and the, the doctor's like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And then Anthony Hopkins is like, oh, I'll show you where he is. And he walks off. And you think to yourself, my God, man, your dad is lying in his deathbed. The most you can do is touch his head. And it looks like what he's doing isn't touching his head to go in a sweet moment of sentimentality. He's touching his head to go, is he cold yet? Mm. Yeah, is he actually dead? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then looks up at the doctor and goes, oh, brilliant, a doctor. I can use them downstairs. The man is emotionally repressed in every aspect of his life. And then he does go downstairs and we have this brilliant moment where Hugh is 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 mingling with the guests and then he sort of sees Stevens and he thinks that they've got some kind of rapport and he mm. goes, Oh, how are you doing, Stevens? And and Stevens is kind of like not he doesn't want to say anything because he's obviously his mm. dad's just died. And Hugh just starts talking about fish. <laughs> this is the only <laughs> thing that he's So in the first scene that we have with Hugh, he goes on about how he likes uh salt water fish and mm. fresh fish because <laughs> For some reason, Lord Darlington has asked asked um, Stevens to take. I, I didn't quite get that. Was he asking him to do the bird? The yeah. Um, so it's another Merchant Ivory film where a character who isn't the character's father has to give them is is like told to give them the chat. So yeah, yeah. Like Anthony Hopkins tries to give Hugh Grant the chat, like the talk, the birds and the bees talk. Which also Hugh Grant is way he's too like, old. He's for like twenty five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's it's way beyond. Um, but yeah. So and then from that he finds out he likes fish, and I think Hugh Grant tries to continue that conversation on. Yeah, um, and it just is is a classic example of like. Hugh's character in this film where he's mm. a bit of the sort of he's the stupid kid basically yeah. and he just has no idea of timing and you know social situations and he completely misses the point on this one Stevens mm. is like there his dad's just died and he starts to try and chat up a conversation about trout or something <laughs> exactly exactly well I'm I really want to read the book actually mm. now. Kazuo Ishiguro is a he's a Japanese British writer, mm. and he's written some other really good books that I've read. So I want to go back and and read this one. I mean, won the the Booker Prize, um, and it's just quite interesting, you know, for someone of his background to write a story about mm. basically English upper class society. Mm. Um, but I you know I actually listened to a really interesting interview of him um, again at the Toronto International Film Festival. Classic. Because he... <laughs> I feel like all of uh, Hughes' films are only shown there and nowhere else. Like what's I, that about? I know. <laughs> um, but in some ways, the me- I think the message he was trying to get across in the Butler character, Mr. Mm. Stevens, is that in some ways we're all butlers. Even in democratic countries where we have some kind of say in how the country is run, we find ourselves oddly far removed from real power. Most of us, what we do is we do jobs. We do good jobs, little jobs, but most of us don't run countries. Most of us don't run 
you know, multinational corporations, we we fit in somewhere if we're lucky. We we learn to do a little job, and we try and do our little job to the best of our ability, and we usually offer up our contribution to somebody upstairs. You know, we, we hope that the contribution is going to be used well, but we often can't be sure. You know, we we offer it up to a a company or an employer or maybe a cause or a country. But in that sense, I thought we are we are all rather like butlers. We all plug away at those our little bits, but we're all almost always reporting or doing it for someone who's a step higher up. And like you say, our tastes and our morals and our ethics might not always align with theirs. And what we do will have an effect eventually on, on how that goes, but not we won't have complete autonomy over it. Um, and thus, we are all servants. In such, and then that's why I think for this for this uh, book, he thought, oh, we're all servants. A servant is the perfect character to choose, and we'll go from there. Oh, for God's sake, who's calling me now? Hello, Oscar speaking. Hello, it's um... Hugh Grant. Oh, hi, Hugh. Uh, this is unexpected. Uh, so, uh... I just was wondering whether you ever thought of having um, me on the show with two friends. You on the show? Well, given the fact that you've ignored us for the last nine months, I think you're going to have to grovel a bit, mate. I am, as ever, in uh, bewildered awe of, of anyone who makes this kind of commitment. I know I couldn't do it. Okay, keep going. Uh, I, I really feel... Um, uh, in short, uh, I think I love you. Okay, we, we we get we get the idea. We get the idea, mate. Am I arousing you? <laughs> uh, no. But glad you like the show, Hugh. Just pure comedy. Oh, Hugh, that's very kind of you to say that. And of course, we love your acting. Thank you very much. You're very nice. Thank you. Well, I think we we have mentioned it a couple of times already today, and also on previous podcasts. Oh yeah. Um, but we, sh- we would be remiss not to mention Dame Emma Thompson's mm. role in this film as the part of Miss Kenton. Mm. Um, Diggs, thoughts? She, so she comes in as the new housekeeper and instantly starts, you know, um, she has her effect on the, on the building. You know, Stevens is very reluctant or he's suspicious of her in some ways you know he, he's not completely she had a great resume but he wasn't completely convinced by it and stuff anyway she comes in she starts as we said before pointing things out about his dad that she doesn't think is that great but she starts whipping people into shape and i think um that that sort of puts him on a loop but they clearly start to develop even though they're complete opposites it feels like she is very much like like forward upfront, says what she feels a lot more um and mm. he is the complete opposite. Um, yeah, what did you think about her character and, and her effect on the film? Miss Kenton almost represents kind of post-war democracy. like, wow. And and Stevens is almost like pre-war, stiff upper lip democracy where duty and dignity come before anything else. Mm. Dame Emma Thompson... <laughs> Dame Emma Thompson. <laughs> Miss Kenton, <laughs> she obviously is there to serve. She will do everything she can, but... You know, family is important. Mm. Um, morals are important, mm. and she is that representation. And and she is what Mister Stevens really needs, really. Mm. Um, but he 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 just can't he just can't get over it. Like yeah. he can't get over that line. And we wanted to talk about this brilliant scene, which was just I mean, it was 
it goes on for a while and it's and it but it's just so much tension mm. where Emma Thompson comes into the room and Mr. Stevens is reading a book. Are you reading a racy book? Do you think racy books are to be found on his lordship's shelves? But I know. Which is the first time you sort of see in him with anything that is kind of of his own personal possession. Yeah, like leisure time, um, yeah. His leisure time, exactly. Let me see it. Let me see your book. What's in that book? Come on, let me see. Basically, he refuses to tell her what he's reading mm. to the point where he, like, backs up against the wall and she has to, like, take the book finger by finger mm. out of his hands. And then she looks at it and she's just like, oh, it's just a, it's just a normal love story. And then, then you get feelings of, are they going to kiss here? Yeah. Is there like, and then you get this kind of romantic love tension, mm-hmm. which it, I don't know. I was just suddenly like, I was blown away by that scene. I thought is I thought is incredible. It was so amazing because, like you say, they're backed up in the corner, and it's it's quite it's almost an anti Hopkinsy sort of trope where you would expect him to be. You know, if someone's trying to pull a book from you, you'd expect you to be like sort of tugging back and tugging it away from them. But instead, he's just holding it very tightly. He's almost staring at her, I think, very stoically, that word again. His face barely moves. And there's so much emotion in a a completely still face from him. And he's just looking at her. You would expect him, like I say, to be pulling away and stuff. But no, he's completely still. And she has to pry him finger by finger to get the book. And she's not moving much either. And she eventually does. And she realises... He's reading just an old love story, and this guy does have a heart, even though he's he has no sense of humour, you know, barely like 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 you say, Oscar. We haven't seen him enjoy his leisure time, or we haven't seen him enjoy anything yet. He clearly has a heart, and not only that, but he's reading a love story, and Emma Thompson clearly feels something for this guy, and he clearly feels something for her. He said before at this point, he said, you know, oh this this house you know, owes you a lot or you mean a lot to this house, you're very important to this house. He doesn't mean the house. He means <laughs> he means him. You know, and it, yeah. and who is the house? The man that, that runs the show. It's him. So what you know yeah. he, and she knows that and he knows that. But he cannot he is so repressed he cannot say anything. That's why he has to keep these his reading to his brain. It goes straight from his eyes into his brain and he can't utter a word of what he's experiencing in the in this book that he likes to read. And and she and she sees that glimpse of hope that maybe he one day they maybe could be together. He could I don't know just explain some mm. emotion. It's such so a do you beautiful think, scene. Do you think do you think they're in love? Do you think he's in love with her? And do you think she's in love with him? Or not really? I think the way we explain that is by talking about the ending. Look out the window. Look out the window. Look out the window. It's you gone in a prayer. So Emma Thompson has now eventually, it's amazing. She leaves the, uh, the Darlington house uh, by because she ends up meeting up with a guy a few times. He asks her to marry her and she moves away. And our main man, Anthony Hopkins, says, oh, I've got to go and right this wrong. I've got to, you know, 
I, you know, he's basically been saying to people, there's someone I need to see. This is like maybe 20 years later after the whole fact or maybe 15. Um, mm. Anyway, they meet up, they go and have tea and cake. <laughs> and that in itself is quite a big deal, I feel like, for, for Stevens. He's like eating cake by himself. Like, I'm like, wow. Exactly. And he's in, he, he's he's like going on a, basically a date or like going out to see a friend. Like, this is this is this is madness. Um, and they have this conversation where they sort of say, oh, it was like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I can't remember what they talked about. I mean, was... they, don't, they talk about nothing, basically, because they can't, they can't talk about anything. That's exactly right. And that's exactly right. And it's so perfect that that's the way, because you're expecting them to debrief on what's happened and they don't quite get there. Eventually he, and they wait for the bus together. He puts her on the bus. It's raining and the bus pulls away and she's again crying her eyes out even more than she had at the end of Sense and Sensibility. And that is fucking saying something. Thank you, Mr. Stevens, and thank you so very much for coming. It was so very kind of you. It was so nice to see you again. It was a pleasure to see you again, Mrs. Ben. Goodbye. Take care. He just lets her go and he says goodbye again. And he says, we'll probably never see each other again, but see you later. And even (laughs) then, he's come all this way and he can't say how he feels and neither can she. I know it makes you it makes you think that if you've ever you know fancied a girl and you never you never bothered to tell them like this is this is like that too like yeah. the most extreme version exactly. of it. Like, you wait twenty years and then you know you go and see the person and then you still can't even be like I think I like you yeah that's it and I mean oh it's it's so heartbreaking but do you know what it it's so real I think it's so true and I think even today I think that like you you say it there you joke but like I think there are people like that unfortunately in a lot of these cases it's a sad ending it is a sad Mm. ending they people never learn to just say how they feel it's not Hollywood that's why it works well you Mm. you know you don't get the particularly satisfactory ending I mean the the book that is called the remains of the remains of the day Mm. and that's meant to be about kind of I think those missed opportunities mm. and chances that weren't taken. Yeah. And that's and also the fact that he is just gonna go back and work his rest of his life in the house. Yeah. And he's and he's kind of happy with that because he doesn't have to do anything more. Like yeah. he's happy he know he knows his schedule, he knows his life, and that's fine. Wow. It's it yeah, it's a, it's a sad ending. It really is. <laughs> Taking he for granted. Taking he for granted. Taking he for granted. What did you think, lads? Were they taking he for granted? Diggs, I want to ask you this time uh, because I tend to always get the first <laughs> dibs on the, on the taking he for granted and I feel bad about that. Um, remains of the day. Are we taking he for granted? As often we do, I like to answer this question in two pieces. One, is the film taking you for granted? Yes, because obviously he's not in it enough. He's maybe in it for like seven minutes, maybe. Um, Mm. So obviously that could be improved on. However, is this film taking you for granted? I think when I watched this film yesterday, I think I would have said, I think I might have said yes. In that, I, I think it was it was what we worry about sometimes with period pieces where they might be quite slow and there's lots of things bubbling under the surface and there's no real payoff and so there's no real fun. However, the way the film has manifested itself in my brain since that moment and since and now we're talking today about it, I really, really liked it. It's so strange. It's it's it it it's really had that kind of effect on me where it's just completely grown. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that it was made by the same people who made Morris and I have to say 
Morris was 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 good in some ways, but I think this for me is is a superior film. Even though you know when you ask someone what happens in this film, I don't know if they could really tell you. There's not too many set pieces. <laughs> you just no. you do kind of have to just watch it. And I think if you're expecting you know whistles and explosions and stuff, that's not what you're going to get. And that's why I think it probably took me a little bit longer to go. You know what? That the feel, the vibe, the mood I got with that film has carried on beyond just the time that I watched it. Because there's films where you just watch it and you never think about them ever again. But this film has really, really marinated in my brain. And I think for mm. that reason, uh, it's not taking you for granted. What about yourself? That's a brilliant way of putting it. Marinating in your brain. Mm. We've watched a lot of period pieces mm. um, doing this podcast, and for me. This is the best film out of all of them for, wow. for me. I, I, I actually, I, I love this film. Mm. I thought it was a brilliant film. I, I'm surprised I didn't know about it, to be honest. It wasn't one of the standout ones, you know, on the list of mm. films we we're going to do. Obviously, Hugh's not in it a whole lot. Mm. Um, I actually don't think you're taking Hugh for granted in this because I actually think that, you know, sometimes cameo roles that's what they're mm. there for. Mm, that's true. And I don't, I, I don't think Hugh was meant to play a starring role in this movie. He was there to supplement Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson's mm. role. And I thought he did a really good job. Mm. I liked his look. I know you didn't. Yeah. I liked his look. I liked his acting. And I think this was, a, you know, if he was sending his resume off for four weddings and a funeral, this one would have been up the up near the top of it. Yeah. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant artwork. It's. I think it's a really well adapted screenplay. Um, and like you said. I've been thinking about it ever since I stopped watching it, mm. which is always a good sign of your, of your film. It's made my my brain tick, and I kind of want to watch it again, to be honest. Um, it's bizarre. Definitely, that. maybe I'm the same. I want to watch it again, which is mental. Uh, definitely a, a good watch, and 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 worth delving into for those Hugh fans out there. Because even if you're only watching it for Hugh, you're going to get a stellar performances oh. from Anthony Hopkins, Emma Thompson, brilliant performances. I... I'm I'm appreciating Emma Thompson more and more. I mean, she is the best actor ever i think maybe i mean she's actually just she's incredible and once again pulls out performance i mean i i knew that anthony hopkins was in this i had no idea of the cast they had as well they also had christopher reeve who's superman for those of you who remember him um which is quite amazing but but like like you say i had no idea emma thompson was in it what a treat but also i say what a treat because like you say we we're going back we're watching these films films we've never heard of watching them just because of hugh and coming away and going Bloody hell, that was good. What a treat. And I feel like I have been treated with this film. Brilliant. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so, so much for listening, everyone. I hope you go away and maybe check this film out. Like, honestly, why not? If, if any of that has intrigued you, then do. Because I'm, I'm guessing that the majority of you haven't seen this, but I would really check it out. Um, also, I'd check us out on all of our various social channels. We're talking Twitter, at Taking Hugh, or Facebook, at Taking Hugh for Granted. And same again on Instagram, at Taking You For Granted. You can also find us on email, takingyouforgranted at gmail.com. We're all over the shop, basically. Another great day, another great podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you so much. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye. Woo! Taking Hugh for Granted is produced, edited and presented by Diggory Waite and Oscar Beardmore-Gray. The producers of Taking Hugh for Granted would like to state that this podcast is in no way associated with the actor Hugh John Mungo Grant, nor does it endorse his views or represent him in any way.
Instead, by creating this podcast, Oscar and Diggory hope to celebrate Hugh's illustrious career, reliving his old classics and shedding light on some of his hidden gems. Hugh, if you're listening, we hope you approve.